Well, welcome to Element Church. My name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And uh, for everyone who's with us, whether you're here in the auditorium or joining us on video somewhere, just so glad that you are here. If you're new, I especially want to welcome you. Uh, here at Element, we exist to help guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. And if you want to know more about who we are as a church, I would invite you to the living room as soon as we're done with our service. The living room is right through these doors back here and across the lobby. There's some amazing volunteers there who would love to meet you, answer any questions you have, give you some information on the church and a gift as well to say thank you for being our guest. Well, today we are ending the sermon series we've been in that's, that's all about relationships with a live Q&A. And so if you want to ask a question, you can go to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O. IDO, it's on the left-hand slide side there, slido.com, and then the event code is single. You don't have to use the hashtag. Just put in the single in the event code. It will take you to the list of questions. There's some preloaded questions from ones folks asked last night uh, when I opened up the portal uh, online. You can actually ask your question or vote for a question that's already been asked, and then the ones with the most votes or likes goes all the way to the top of the page, and we'll get through as many questions as we can today. Uh, when you ask your question, there is a moderator that does approve it, sometimes edits it uh, just to make sure it's, uh, it's good enough to fit on the screen and readable and whatnot. And so it's not too personal if you include uh, personal stuff in there. And while you begin uh, asking questions, you can start right now, you can begin voting on questions. While you do that, I want to invite my wife, Sabrina, to the platform. So would you welcome my wife today? I asked her to join me. Um, not because she's going to answer questions particularly. She might. She did so in the first service. Will she see what she wants to do in, in this service? But we don't get to hang out very much on Sundays. I'm here all day long. And uh, so I wanted just to hang out with her uh, in every service. So she's going to help ask the questions that come in. And then as she feels led, she might offer some answers as well. If you want to ask a uh, question of her, you're welcome to. But hey, she might, no, no, she might no. say no. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, any question we don't get to, because we're not going to be able to answer all of them, any ones we don't get to, we are going to answer on a Facebook Live uh, later on this week. We, we'll even do multiple of them to answer all the questions that come in, so make sure that you ask your questions. So we'll go ahead and start with uh, whatever one is on the top of the list. Okay. Is sex necessary in a marriage? My spouse and I have not had sex in months, maybe a year or more, and it was usually only a few times a year before that. My kids are so excited that this is the very first question. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> okay. uh, one of our kids said that if sex comes up, they're leaving. So I don't know what they're going to do about that. But um, this is a great question. Nobody's, nobody's leaving and now they're embarrassed. Um, this is a great question. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm glad that this one is the one that we're, uh, we're starting with. So, so let, me, let me start by saying this. Okay. The, the question was, um, oh, now it's gone. So uh, the question was, what was the word used? Um, is sex necessary uh, for marriage? I'm going to use the word survive. Okay. Can a marriage survive without sex? Mm -hmm. Yes. But I believe a marriage will never thrive unless there's regular sex happening yeah. in that marriage. Outside of, obviously, there's physical limitations at times. Uh, there can be even mental or spiritual limitations that might need to be worked through, through, through counseling. But a marriage that is not having regular sex tells me that marriage is not intimate. Because intimacy leads to sex. Sex is not intimacy, but intimacy will lead to sex. 
And Sabrina and I are, are very passionate about seeing couples have a healthy sex life who are, marriage, uh, who are married. It breaks our hearts how many couples do not have a healthy sex life in their, in their intimacy. Now, here's a couple of words of caution. I would caution you to make sex the goal. Don't make sex the goal of marriage. Make intimacy the goal. Yeah. And when you're truly intimate, the end result will be having sex. And then also people ask follow-up questions like, well, how many times a week, how many times a month or a year is considered healthy or regular? I, I have my own opinion. I'm not even going to give it to you. Um, but <laughs> trust me, I've already shared it with her. Uh, don't, don't make a number your goal either. Because yeah. then you'll just try to have sex that many times and check it off the list. So Sex is not a duty. It's a delight. Mm-hmm. That's good. I just thought of that right there. That was, that was, that was good. good. That was yeah. good preaching right there. Yeah. It, should be a natural, it should be a natural outpouring of a healthy and intimate marriage. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm, I'm going to say something strong, but it's, I believe it's true. If you, are, if you are physically able to have sex and you are choosing not to, then you do not have intimacy in your marriage. You might think you do, but you don't. 1 Corinthians 7, taking too much time already, says this. uh, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So I would even say it's a command to married couples that we actually celebrate the oneness of marriage through sexual intimacy. It's not the only part of intimacy, but I do believe it's the end result. So do you have to, is it necessary? No. If you want your marriage to thrive, you'll, you'll figure out a way. Have the awkward conversations. Mm-hmm. Talk about what, you, what your needs are and what they aren't. Like you're going to have to get through the awkwardness and uncomfortability to, to get there in, in a marriage. You're already naked, so what's more <laughs> questions? I mean, come on. You're already being intimate in that. So talking and laughing and having fun, like it, that's, it's part of marriage. It's part of growing. It's part of maturing. Yep. Don't be scared. Amen. Okay. Good job. I agreed 100%, by the way. <laughs> How can the church become better about making brotherly love more appealing in an overly sexualized and overly romanticized <laughs> society? It, that's a good question. Yeah, it's a very good question. It's, it's going to take time. <laughs> Um, because we are so over romanticized and over overly sexualized when brotherly love is shown, which I'll I'll say this, if two women are holding hands in public, we don't think anything of it. But if two guys show any kind of physical affection, we automatically think they're gay. I think we need to help in that because physical affection and physical touch is a very important human need. And, and there needs to be a, a place for brotherly love that is not sexualized, sisterly love uh, as well. Um, obviously, you need to have you know, boundaries and make sure you're not being inappropriate. But I just think it's going to take time for the, for the church, the big C church, not just Elma Church, but for the church to get better about making that acceptable 
and even, and even inviting that um, in our lives. Not everybody will be comfortable with that th- themselves. Not everybody will be comfortable with it when they, if they see that. Uh, but even beyond just the physical affection, I think there's a place for that, that intimate friendship that needs to take place in people's lives. Like I need a friend who's a man that is obviously not my, my wife. Um, I need someone I can confide in at times and even tell things to them that maybe I ha- am not ready to tell uh, my spouse and vice versa for her. Um, Jesus said there is no greater love than a man than to lay down one's life for his friend. So I think there is a level of friendship that we have not allowed ourselves to get to in Christianity, partly because we're homophobic and partly because we don't allow it. We just don't pursue that. In life, So it's a great, great question. I think it's going to take time. Uh, I think this series is a start for our church as we try, kind of try to tear down the walls of romanticism and build up the wall, build up the kind of the level of intimacy that doesn't have to happen in a romantic relationship. There's probably more I could say, but I'm already rambling. <laughs> I'm engaged to be married. My fiance does not have the same relationship with God as I do. I pray for him daily. Am I disobeying God by pursuing this marriage? Context matters here, and and it's not explained in detail. My fiance does not have the same relationship with God that I do. So do you have to have the exact same relationship to get married? No. Uh, Sabrina and I aren't always on the same exact level spiritually and uh, in our marriage or before marriage. So I think it's okay to be at different levels. I would say this. If they are not a Christian... You should not get married. If you are a Christian and they are not, you should not get married. So again, going back to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 29, or verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. So if loving the Lord's a requirement for a widow to get married, it's also a requirement for somebody who's just single wanting to get married. <laughs> that your, your fiance needs to, to believe in Jesus. And that means not just saying, oh yeah, I love the Lord. No, it's not loving in word, it's loving in deed. Yeah. Yeah. Are they showing that they actually love the Lord by how they are treating you, how they are living with you, how they are living in, in the world? I mean, they gotta be perfect. But are they pursuing Jesus with you? You might be at different levels. That's okay in your faith, okay? I think it's sometimes good that we're at different levels. There's times I need my wife to be more sure on her foundation than I am. And there's times I need to be more sure in my foundation. That's how we complement one another in our, in our faith. We're not always at the exact same level. But you're talking about like they don't even believe in God, then you should not get married, And I understand what that means. You might already have plans in place, purchases made, whatever, and your fiance, your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're with them, by the way, and they don't believe you should, there's no such thing as missionary dating that doesn't exist, okay? Don't date, well, what if I reach them for Jesus? No, they're most likely gonna pull you away from Jesus. It's way easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up, okay? That was a tangent, someone needed that. I, they are going to tell, they're going to say to you that you're judgmental, you're hypocritical, that how dare you say that I don't, you know, I'm not whatever, I don't love Jesus. If they do not love Jesus, you should not be marrying them. All right, my hard, hard no on that, okay? 
this next question kind of goes along with that. What does dating as a Christian look like, do's and don'ts? Um, well, I, it's my opinion that the reason you date is to find a spouse. If you are not ready to pursue marriage, I would caution you on even just joining the whole dating scene. Okay? Don't date just to date. Date to find a mate. <laughs> I just made that one up too. That, that was good. I don't know. Write that down. It's just, it, it's just popping. Uh, <laughs> But when, if you're just going to date to date, that's a, literally a waste of time. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Because most likely you're not going to get married if that's the only reason you're just dating because I want to date, just during the dating scene. So as a Christian, I would say, okay, you, you obviously need to have some boundaries in place. Like what are you going to do and not do physically? And that line should be drawn way back from sex. We typically want to put the line physically as close to sex as we can, and then we think we're going to say no when we get there. Yeah. That, that ain't possible. Right? You are setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. Draw the line way back, and if the person you're dating will not respect those boundaries, you break up with them. Because listen, a, a boyfriend, I'm going to use the boyfriend, but it's the same truth for the girlfriend. A boyfriend who won't respect your boundaries now will be a husband who respects no boundaries. So what makes you think he'll follow any boundaries there are in marriage if he doesn't follow your dating boundaries? Yeah. So set boundaries, very clear ones, follow them. Get connected into the church. I think dating couples should be in community, not isolated by themselves. Invite people into your life to speak truth, to hold you accountable, to let you know when you're wandering. Like uh, the same thing you would do as a Christian married couple or single couple, as far as faith, obviously not the sex part, but... Uh, as a single person or a dating couple, the same thing you do, just do that. Be involved in church, volunteer, serve, like grow in your faith. Make faith the priority, not dating the priority. Should you have your own friends of the opposite sex even when you're in a relationship? Very, very cautiously. Very cautiously. And never alone. Never alone. Yeah, that's... Never, never, never. I don't care. In the car to the quick store? No. Yeah. Never. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pretty high standard on that. Like, I, I just, I personally will not ever be alone with a member of the opposite sex who is not my wife, my children, uh, or like a family, my sister, my whatever, cousin, whatever. Um, I have friends that are females, but I'm very, very, very guarded I'm super uncomfortable with that. I just don't want there to be a question that there's anything inappropriate happening. I don't want anybody to raise a, I saw Jeff driving down the road with some woman that wasn't Sabrina or, or whatever, out to lunch. I just, I, I just I'm super, super careful about that. Um, and uh, Sabrina is as well. And we both have friends of the opposite sex, but just be careful. When you're single, I think it's a tad different but even then, you want to be careful what situation you're putting yourselves in. The enemy will take any chance he can to bring you down. And you might think there's nothing going on between us, whether you're single or married. There's nothing, there's no romance or whatever. Man, it does not take much, and the enemy will get his foot in that door. Just be careful. They're okay, yes. Be very, very, very careful. I would just say yes with caution. <laughs> How do you suggest going about finding the right relationship? Could it be possible for Element Church to have a singles group in the future? 
<laughs> Typically here, okay, yes, there is. We do, and we do. There's, there, there's some small groups we have and have had that are focused on single, singleness, singles. What I don't want is a singles ministry or a singles group that literally is just a place to find a date. Yeah. That is not what church is for, okay? If you find a spouse at church, praise the Lord. That's the, I think the best place to find a spouse is in the faith. But that's not what groups are for. Groups are not meant for you to find your next date. Uh, and that's literally what singles ministries usually turn into is just... Uh, it's a hookup place, and I, I, I use hookup in a non-sexual way, but like it's a place to find somebody to date, and that's just, it's, un, it's un, unhealthy. Um, so we do have singles groups. We've had singles groups. We're not ever going to have a singles ministry. We are working on, we're going to launch a, a, a young adult ministry next year, which the majority of singles are young adults. Not all. The majority are. I think it's healthy for singles to be in mixed company. It's good for the married couples to have singles in their community. And it's good for single people to have marrieds in their community. We, we shouldn't just isolate ourselves into these specific niches that then we never have influence from outside that knit and that niche, that niche, however you say it. <laughs> whatever, whatever I say. I, I, I ain't smart, but I do know what love is. Okay. Um, anyway, we're probably not going to have one. If that offends you, I'm sorry. Get in a group. That's my answer. Okay. What does a godly transition from single to a relationship look like? If, if I'm being honest, I think there should, from single to a relationship, there shouldn't be much change. You should be so healthy spiritually as a single that becoming a married only enhances that. <laughs> that usually doesn't happen, by the way. We're, we're typically very unhealthy single people that believe marriage will make us healthy. Marriage solves nothing. It just doesn't. It solves nothing. So, but I will say a healthy transition is obviously walking into marriage, understanding the four words I always challenge us with. It's not about me. Yeah. Okay. So when you go into marriage, it's not, Hey, what are they going to do for me? It's no, what am I going to do for them? But that should be a part of your single life. How am I going to better other people? How am I going to serve other people? How am I going to honor the Lord in my singleness? If that's how you're living as a single, there's going to be some things to navigate. When no, you put two sinful and selfish people into one home together, there's problems. Okay? But if you are a healthy single, that will, those problems will be easier to navigate for you to be a healthy married person as well. So I, I think if it just, if at the bare minimum, it's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about me, that's the healthiest way you'll transition into a marriage. And also this, go into marriage, agreeing together, we will never get divorced. Never. If you both can't say that, don't get married. That's good. Because once divorce is an option, the devil will give you the opportunity. My wife and I have made the commitment, we will never get married. Wow. We are married. <laughs> Surprise. We, we are married. We're not even married. <laughs> now there's a whole new set of questions coming in. We will never get divorced. 
And, and you might say, well, how can you say you'll never get divorced? How can you say that? Well, we made that commitment to God on our wedding day. So why would, should we make it to everyone else? So we're okay lying to God. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll, we will never get divorced. It's not even an option for us, regardless of what happens. We'll figure it out. That was free of charge. <laughs> I believe in and love God, but I'm having sex before marriage and don't feel compelled to stop. What is wrong here? I think you want to answer this no, one. No, I do not. I, I don't know all the details, so if, if you, if, I would love to talk to that person. Yeah. But I'm going to say something that's going to sound super harsh, okay? If you are a believer and you don't feel compelled to stop, which means you're not convicted, I would question whether you're a believer. Because a believer has the Holy Spirit living in, in, in them. And when you have the Holy Spirit, if you sin, you're convicted. Yeah. And if there's no conviction, it means you don't have the Holy Spirit. I know it sounds super harsh. Now again, if you tell me I am convicted, I just don't want to stop. That's a different story. I would caution anyone who believes that it's wrong and it's just gonna continue anyway, you are walking on very, very thin ice. You are essentially then saying to God, I don't care what you said. I'm gonna do it anyway. That's a dangerous place to be, spiritually. It's a dangerous place to be. So if that's you, I would really, really challenge you to seek the Lord. If you truly do believe, Lord, why? Why am I not compelled to stop? Um, you need to. You, you need to. And I, I think you know that. <laughs> but man, that, that makes my heart hurt. Because it, it makes me worried for your faith. And that's more concerning to me. Your spirituality is way more concerning to me than just your physicalness, your sexuality. So that's, that's a very sobering question. You need to do a double take on your spiritual walk. <clears throat> How do you recommend going about rebuilding broken marriages when one of the spouses is a non-believer? Um, I, I think you need to, uh, you start at the very bottom rung, okay? If, if your marriage is broken, that means that there's fault. And listen, in every marriage breakup, there's fault on both sides. There's always fault on both sides. Everybody could have done something differently all the time. Even in good marriages, we both have faults. Um, so you start at the very bottom rung of, and it takes two people to do it. It won't get rebuilt with one. But it takes two people starting at the very bottom rung. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You start there. Then the next layer, we are getting into counseling. There is nothing wrong with counseling. Nothing wrong. There's a stigma attached to counseling today that needs to be removed. Yes. Sometimes the best thing you can ever do is go to counseling. <laughs> I'm talking for anxiety, depression, for, for whatever. For marriage, 
for raising kids, having your kids in counseling, like it is fine. It's good. It's recommended. And we have a counselor we'd recommend to you if that's, that's, if that's what you need. But you get into counseling for as long as it takes. Yeah. And I understand. But that costs money. How much money is your marriage worth? You've got to figure it out. If you truly want to rebuild your marriage, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? We're getting into counseling, and we are going to stay in counseling as long as it takes. And we get back to those words, four words. It's not about me. It's not about me. And you're going to have to do the hard, hard work. It won't be easy. It'll take time. But you're going to do the hard, hard work of rebuilding that marriage. It's going to be a long go, but you can do it. It's worth it. Yep. Should you talk about intimacy and sex while dating, even if you are abstaining from having sex? Yes. Yes. And let me back up. Maybe not when you just started dating, okay? But if you're on the trajectory of getting married, yes. Like, you better walk into marriage knowing what the expectations are from each person. Because I guarantee you, there are a lot of spouses who just thought marriage and sex in marriage would just take care of itself. That ain't happening. Like there's two very different people coming into one marriage and now you're the only people you're having sex with, right? Which you should have no sex before marriage if that's if you can. If you already have, then make that commitment to do so from now on. But like when you're, you need to talk about what are your expectations? What's, what will sex look like in our marriage? How many times are we going to, you think we're going to have sex on a weekly basis, monthly? Like you need to talk about that. Otherwise you're going to have some very upset people in that marriage. So yes, talk about it, but I would talk about it in places where it, you won't be tempted then to pursue it. Like you should not talk about sex while you're laying on the couch holding each other watching, you know, a romantic movie. <laughs> you should talk about it at a place where nothing's going to happen. Cuz talking about it will spark the desire to do it. So be very very careful in how you do that. But yes, talk about it. I struggle being intimate with my husband due to sexual abuse in my childhood. How do I keep things that happen to me from destroying my marriage? Very good question. Yeah, that is. So I would first of all say, does, does, your, does your husband know? Make sure he knows your past, all of it, okay? And that he understands that's a roadblock for you. Second of all, I would then ask him for help to overcome that roadblock. You know, can we pray together? Can we go to counseling? Can I go to counseling? Whatever it takes. But it all gonna start with, it's all going to start with honesty. If any of that's hidden, then it will constantly be a roadblock. And it's going to be a roadblock for a while, but you need to get it out in the open, then ask your husband to join you in walking through that. Acknowledge that I need healing in this area, and I understand that our sex life is not, our intimacy is not where it needs to be, and I'm, I'm owning that. But we need to work through this part of my life before this part of our marriage can be truly healthy. And then do whatever it takes to get there. Whatever it takes. Um, and sometimes you're, you're going to have to just, you're going to have to push through the uncomfortableness again. But talk, 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 talk about it. The best thing we ever did in our intimacy was literally just talk. We listen to podcasts together about sex and marriage. We read books about it. We have conversations about it. When we first started, it was super awkward and uncomfortable just having those conversations, but it has revolutionized our marriage, not just our intimacy, our marriage. It's revolutionized our marriage to do that. As a single parent, is it Christ-like to date before my child is 18? I wouldn't say it's not Christ-like. Yeah. 
it's going gonna, it's gonna to add more difficulty. You've got to understand that, right? Um, again, I would, I, this has kind of been my answer for this service. I would do so cautiously. Don't just rush into dating relationships, but there's nothing unchristlike about dating if you're a single parent. Um, but you are going to need to probably have some conversations that other single people wouldn't necessarily have. I think you need to be very clear, depending on the age of your child, have age-appropriate conversations on why you're dating. You know, depending on whether your child knows who their, their other parent is. I don't think this, I don't th- this didn't, didn't give a, a husband or, or a mom or dad situation, but if your child does not know who their other parent is, the other half of the, of the parent, um, you have to have conversations about all that, about what this means for me as mom or dad, what it means for you. I mean, it's, it's going to make it complicated. Being a single parent is complicated. So put Jesus first, your health second, then your child's health, then dating. If one, two, and three are healthy, I have no problem with you dating. What's the difference between getting fulfilled by God and fulfilled by your husband's love? So one is spiritual, one's very physical, okay? Same for wife. Um, so being fulfilled by God, God's not going to, God does not, um, you're careful how I word this. Being fulfilled by God is something that's in the supernatural. So that's why the whole premise of the series is, is finding fulfillment no matter your relationship status. That if I'm not being fulfilled solely in Christ, like the song we sang earlier, this world's got nothing for me. Yeah. He's got nothing, I mean, the world has nothing for me. That needs to be true. So I, I gotta be fulfilled spiritually. Lord, if, if all I have is you, I'm gonna be content. It won't always be easy. It's very difficult to live this life. But Lord, I'm asking to be fulfilled by you because whether you're dating or whether you're married or divorced or whatever, your spouse, your significant other, your dating partner, they will always let you down. (laughs) Always. And I will always let my wife down. Like we we had a, 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 I had a pretty big, um, I'll call it a sin against my wife just uh, two Fridays ago. Yeah, two Fridays ago. Like, I did not treat her very well. And, and it upset her. And she should have been upset. I had, I had to come back to her and apologize for the way I, I acted. But if, if, she's not, if she's only looking to me to fulfill her love bucket, and I do things like that, her love bucket's never going to be full. But if she's fulfilled in Christ... Then when I make mistakes, when I mess up, when I'm not treating her the way I should as a husband, then she, she's not going to be driven away. She's fulfilled in Christ and actually can be drawn back to me in a much quicker, much easier way. Does that make sense? Like spiritually, I've got to be fulfilled in Christ because nothing else can fulfill me. Now then, now that we're married, she's got a responsibility, and I have a responsibility to her to do my best to do those things we talked about. I have to seek, serve, and spoil her, and she needs to respect me and rejoice with me and relate to me, but we're not going to do that perfectly. We need to, and that's the only place that we should be looking for those things 
The only place that we should be receiving physical romantic love is from one another. But even when that fails, I can still be satisfied and fulfilled because I, I can be that in Christ. So that's, that's the whole premise of this was be fulfilled in Christ, fulfilled in Christ, fulfilled in Christ. Because everything else will fail. Everything. And if my whole fulfillment's based on her, I'm going to have a really, really hard life. And vice versa. That's because I'm awesome. Yeah. <laughs> one, I mean, we can do one more. Okay. I struggle with porn. I feel shame and guilt all the time. How do I stop? Who can I talk to? Please help. Um, I would say you can reach out to us, to our church. We'll talk with you. Yeah. Um, like, as you, can, as you know, it's, you want to stop. <laughs> porn porn is, is, it's addictive. Studies have been shown that it's more addictive than uh, heroin. Because heroin, you can get out of the body. Mm. Pornographic images remain in the brain forever. And it, I'm, I'm kind of off on a tangent here. I, I'm not, I think people already know this, but the addictive nature of sex in general, including pornography, is that whenever, I'm going to be very graphic here, whenever you look at a pornographic image and if you masturbate or if you have an orgasm with somebody, that the oxytocin level released in orgasm is so high that it ties you to the, the, the event. And then it causes you to want to do it again. That's why sex in marriage can be so powerfully bonding. Because when two people have sex and then you, you reach orgasm, that actually releases oxytocin that bonds you together and then causes you to want to do it again. So the more often a couple's having sex, the more bonded they are together. Now you see how dangerous this is outside of marriage. Mm, yeah. Same is true outside of marriage. It's just harmful because I'm off tangent from porn, but sex outside of marriage masks other issues because that oxytocin bonding thing that's happening makes you think your relationship is good, but it might just be the sex is good and the relationship sucks. And so because the sex is good, you get married and now all of a sudden these other issues come roaring to the top and you thought, what in the world just happened? Everything was so good. No, the sex just masked all your other issues. Mm. Pornography does the same thing. So if you're looking at porn, especially if you masturbate and, and are, have an orgasm looking at pornography, I apologize for the graphic nature of this, but I'm trying to be very, very real and blunt here. Um, it bonds you to what you're doing. That's why it's so damaging then in marriage because then husband or wife can start actually leaning more on pornography than their own spouse because that's what they're bonding to. So how, how, how do you stop? You're in, you need help. You got to be honest with, with someone, fully honest with someone. I mean, fully honest, someone you can trust. You might need counseling. You might need to take drastic, drastic measures in your life. Like get a dumb phone on a smartphone. Porn in the pocket is the most dangerous thing on the planet right now. Like when, when I was a kid, you had to go get a magazine. Then internet came out, that ruined everything. Now it's in our pockets. So you might gotta get rid of, I, I gotta stop. You gotta get, get, get rid of your smartphone, you might gotta get rid of internet, you might gotta get rid of computers. You, Jesus said if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not saying literally cut off your hand. 
He's saying, do whatever it takes to stop what you're doing. Because it's better, he said, to enter into heaven with one hand than to enter into hell with two. Mm, wow. So do whatever it takes. And listen, I'm not going to share any further than this, but I know your story personally. Because I lived it. And there's hope. And there is freedom. But it won't be free. It'll cost you. I got to stop there. So is it better to stay in an unhealthy marriage for the kids or separate? I, I, would, I would, this going back to what I taught on last week with divorce and remarriage and, and everything, um, context changes everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, you know, depends on what unhealthy means. If it's dangerous for you to be there or dangerous for your kids, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I think you should separate. I'm not against separation. I think there are times in marriages that are so unhealthy that it's dangerous spiritually, emotionally, physically, um, mentally, that you need to separate. Find a play, find a friend to go live with, a parent, whatever. Um, a, a context is so important. So I would have to sit down with you personally, whoever that, whoever that is, to help you know what you should do because uh, we can be very biased in, one, in what unhealthy means <laughs> and just use that as an excuse to get out of Dodge. So un- unhealth is, yes, can be a reason to separate. Um, like I said last week, though, I don't think I could ever advise someone to get divorced. I just can't do it. Um, doesn't mean I'm against you if you have been divorced. Um, I, I can't advise someone to do that. I would advise separation at times, uh, but not divorce. So context would matter, but I think there are times that it's, you, you should separate. Ready? Yep. I'm dating a guy that isn't a Christian. Do I have to break up with him? Hmm. If so, why? Uh, fun, fun, fun. <laughs> so, okay. L- let me start here. What's the point of dating? I believe the point of dating is to find a spouse. If you're not planning on marrying this person, then why are you dating them? That's the start. So, with that as the start... The Bible's clear that you should only marry someone who's a Christian. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse uh, 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. So if that's true for a a woman whose husband died, it's also true for a single person who's not yet married. Okay? You should not marry someone unless they love the Lord. And by love the Lord, it doesn't mean they say, oh yeah, I love the Lord. No, it means their life reflects it. Okay? Not just words only, but deed as well. Are Are they reflecting the love of God in their life. Okay. And I know all the excuses. Well, what if I, what if I can reach him for Jesus? That's called missionary dating and you should run for the hills. <laughs> missionary dating is never wise because it's way easier for someone to pull you down for than for you to pull them up. Well, it goes back to what you wow, said about, I am. <laughs> no, don't good. throw me off. Sorry. It goes back to what you said about the enemy does everything to bring you together yeah. before you're married. So if you're missionary dating, Yes, he's going to bring you together and tempt you to have sex. Yes, he's going to tempt you to turn away from God and go the other direction. Like, it's just not wise, period. Yep, Yep. I agree. So 
Do you have to break up with them? No. Should you marry them? Absolutely not. Which means you should probably not be dating them. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I won't say you can't date them, but why would you? Yeah. Okay? And, and I, I, again, context changes so much. And I know that if you go, I don't know if it's a woman or a man who asked the question, but if you go to this person and tell them, they're going to accuse you of being judgmental, hypocritical, that, you know, well, who are you to say that I don't love Jesus? Um, th- they will use everything in the book to try to get you to stay with them. Do not stay with them. Okay? Is it wrong to be living with my partner before marriage? To receive marriage counseling would mean we'd have to separate leading up to the wedding. So is it wrong for you to live with your partner before marriage? It's a very key language there. I'll give you my opinion first, and then we'll talk some scripture. In my opinion, yes. It is. There are very few couples who come to us for marriage anymore who aren't already living together. Very few. And most often they are shocked that we think they should not live together. And these are Christian people, okay? People that believe in Jesus and say they believe in in scripture. I think it's wrong for you to live together for multiple reasons. You, You might say, well, we're not having sex. And I'm saying, then you are walking in the lion's den. Like you are putting yourself in a situation where it's going to be very hard to say no if you are living together. So that's the first thing. You're just putting yourself in temptation. You're asking how close to the line can I get without going over? And as I've told you before, that's the wrong question to ask. You should be as far away from the line of sin as possible. So I don't think you should live together. Plus, we are to avoid the very appearance of evil as Christians And by you living together, what's everyone going to assume? They will just assume you're having sex. Okay? And there's very few couples living together who aren't having sex before marriage. I can give you that. So here's now. So if you're having sex before marriage, that is absolutely wrong. Okay? All sexual immorality in scripture, um, when it it just uses the word sexual immorality, it's it's a junk drawer word for sexual immorality. It means any sex outside of God's design, which is man and woman, husband and wife in a, in a marriage. And then Hebrews 13 verse four says this marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So the marriage bed should be honored by all that all includes those who aren't married. (laughs) So if you are living together, even sleeping in the same bed, having sex, you are not honoring the marriage bed. So at Element Church, we've got pretty high standards for marriage. So if if we're gonna marry you, we would ask you to stop living together. There are rare cases where we have allowed couples to live together while we did premarital counseling only if there were kids involved or extreme financial situations where it was just impossible. We do ask though that the couple commits to not, if they've already been sexually active or if they haven't, that they they refrain from all sexual activity until marriage. But we we will tell a couple no if they're not willing to try to live outside of the home together. We have that high of a standard for marriage and that standard I believe comes from scripture, okay? How do you approach sexual desires and sexual energy when you're single or celibate? 
that is a, a great, great question that I know is one that many, many single people wrestle with and are going to wrestle with. Um, I do believe, as we've taught in the series, that obviously the desire for sex is not bad. God gave us that desire. He, he's the one that thought of sex. Um, it was his idea in the first place. He designed it. He designed it for marriage. But there are some people who obviously you're not married yet, or maybe you have committed yourself not to be married, whatever it is. Um, what do you, how do you approach sexual desires? I, th- I think you have to, and I'm not meaning this in a sexual way, it's going to sound weird, but please don't snicker or anything, but you channel those desires towards Jesus. You allow him to take them, to refine them, to use them. I do believe our, our sexual energy, our sexual desire as single people is a chance to have the Holy Spirit disciple us and refine us. If we can't say no to our sexual urges when we're single, how will we ever learn to say no when we're married to sexual sin? Because I promise you, marriage does not cure sexual sin. Like there is still opportunity to lust, there is still opportunity for adulterous affairs, there's opportunity for all sorts of sexual immorality even after marriage. Marriage doesn't cure it. In fact, I think marriage heightens sexual sin. Yes, there might be now an an allowed outlet for that sexual energy and desire that God honors, but we already saw a question of a married couple who hasn't had sex in over a year. Well, what do you think the enemy's going to do with that couple sexually? He's going to offer them all sorts of opportunities to sin. I can guarantee you that. So just because you're married doesn't mean now, when I was a youth pastor, one of the I, and this is going to be funny. You can laugh at this one. But I was a youth pastor. Like all the, all the teenage boys that we led, some of them are on staff now with us. Um, all the teenage boys that we led, they would, they, I, they mean all the time they would say, I can't wait to get married because then you can have sex whenever you want. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. But they, I mean, every teenage guy who's trying to, to live in purity believes the same thing. Well, if once I get married, oh, all my problems go away. That's, that's a lie from the enemy, right? Absolutely. We don't look at it that way, but yep. it is a lie to convince you you have to be married to fulfill these sexual desires. It's what society has set up and even the church has set up for us to believe that it has to be done. And yep. so then there's no, there's no line for that calling to be single yep. and celibate. So it's, it's difficult. I think you have to, instead of just saying no to sex, you say yes to the ways of Jesus. Yeah. And then once you're married, instead of just saying yes to sex, you continue saying yes to the ways of Jesus. And you allow the, that energy, that desire to be refined, discipled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's never going to be easy. Never going to be easy. But your singleness, even your desire for sexual fulfillment Points, pe- points you to your need for a savior. Mm-hmm. And as you live and navigate through that successfully, it points other people to the sufficiency of your savior. Wow. That you actually can live in singleness and even celibacy, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. In the same way that marriage points us to our need and sufficiency of a savior, so does singleness. Yeah. So celebrate that, all right? It's fun to watch these questions 
change. Okay, with divorce not an option, how would you recommend rebuilding a marriage that has been broken, especially when only one spouse is a believer? Man. Um, <laughs> well, if, if both spouses are open to counseling, yeah. absolutely get in counseling. If you need a suggestion, we would recommend uh, a marriage counselor to you here in town. It's one that we partner with as a church. Um, they are amazing. And uh, I would recommend counseling, obviously. You're going to have to both be open. You're going to have to both ask for forgiveness. You're going to have to both apologize. You're going to have to both be submissive. I mean, it, it's going to take both partners. But I do believe that, I mean, there are plenty of examples of, of marriages that are healthy when only one spouse is a believer. It's possible. I think it's easier when both spouses are believers. But the divorce statistics among Believing couples and unbelieving couples are exactly the same. So it's not like we as Christians have a leg up on this because we're not doing any better. Um, but I would say it's going to take both of you to do the very, very, very hard work of rebuilding the marriage. But I think it starts at the very bottom level. Apologize, ask for forgiveness, then go to counseling, and then both continue the very hard work of pursuing that. I don't think you'll get there without professional counseling. I honestly don't. So I recommend that. But it's going to be hard work. I want to add something to that. I think you also have to give up what, like, was the marriage before. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and, and look at it like, what can it be and make it new? Yep. Yep. It's good. Yeah. You may not ever have the same marriage as before, but I believe you'll even have a better one <laughs> yeah. if the Lord rebuilds it. So there's no broken marriage God can't restore. Mm -hmm. I believe that. There is no marriage God can't restore. Someone needs to know that today. Okay? Don't give up. Don't give up. God can rebuild it. What do you do when you have fallen out of love with your spouse? Again, context changes everything. So I'm answering it very generically. But love's not a feeling. Love's a choice. And the fact that you use the language fallen out of love tells me that, 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 that you treated love as an emotion, as a, as a, a feeling. It was that, so in, in I think week two of the series, we talked about chemistry, how we base so much of our relationships on the feeling of chemistry. And it makes you feel like you're in love, but love's a choice. So if you, if you have fallen out of love, Ask yourself, what did we do that made us love each other in the first place? And start doing those things again. Go back to where you were when you started. What was it that made us love each other in the first place? And do those, do those things. Um, there is a great book out there, The uh, Love Dare. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Anybody help me? Love Dare? Um, it's from uh, one of the Christian movies that was out there. And I don't recommend all Christian movies. They're usually very bad. But... Um, <laughs> But the love dare was a great resource. It basically is for spouses to do exactly what you're talking about. How do I fall back in love? You actually start doing for them things that show love yeah. until the love rekindles. That's, you could know their love language Yes, as well. love language is the, so, so big. That's yeah, very good. by Gary Chapman, the five love five languages. Five love languages. You should just figure out the people in your circle, what their love languages are, and fill those up constantly because you need it, and so you also need to give it yeah. out. Yep. You know, if you'll never have the feeling of love again 
unless you have the acts of love again. So act like you love them, even if you don't feel it. And I believe in due time, the Holy Spirit will bring the love, the feeling of love back. But don't base your relationship on feelings. That's, 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 I acknowledge that's a hard place to be, yeah. but it's not impossible to get that back. If my spouse and I believe that God wants us to remain childless, is it being obedient to get a vasectomy or is the act of having a vasectomy not trusting God? That's obviously there's a lot of opinions that will go into this. Um, After four children, we had that act. We actually tried to get it done while I was pregnant because we were like, what in the world are we doing? (laughs) Well, we we knew what we were doing. Yeah, well, that's true. We loved each other a lot, but it was producing things. The trying to have kids was the fun part. (laughs) The having them was... (laughs) Well, four kids in five years. I would say say if you're... So if, if this is like a young married couple, like don't rush into that. I would hate for you to do that and then regret it. But if you, if you currently have no children and you truly believe, like you could tell me that you have confirmation that God wants you to remain child, childless, I, have, I would have no issue with that, okay? In the same way as I think the church has kind of screwed up how we've led single people by telling them all they should get married yeah. as an expectation, I think we've also made it very hard for married couples by expecting them to have children. Not all married couples are intended to have children. God might be calling you to a, to a task that children can actually keep you from accomplishing. So please, 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 parents of adult children, stop pressuring your children for grandchildren. Yes. Your children are not the avenue for you to have grandchildren. Please stop that. Okay? Grandchildren are amazing, I'm sure. They are a blessing from the Lord. If God ever blesses us with them, we are going to be the best grandparents on the planet. But we have told all, we, we tell all of our children all the time. We tell them this all the time. You don't have to get married. And we will love you the same whether you're ever married or not. And if you get married, you don't have to give us grandkids. Like we want you to do what God wants you to do, not what our flesh wants. And I went on a little rant there, but some, there's some parents in the room that need to hear that. Like you have rushed your children into marriage and you've rushed your married children into pregnancy. And it's not always the most healthy thing. So that wasn't the question, but someone must need to hear that. If you want to get a vasectomy and you believe God wants that, go for it. Uh, but please make sure you, you're very patient. That's a big, big decision. Yes, I know there's reversals and all that stuff. That's a big, big decision. Just make sure you've sought counseling and, and confirmation in that. David and Solomon had many wives and concubines. Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden. Where in the Bible does it forbid two unmarried people to abstain from sex? So again, the, the word sexual immorality Includes so all of teaching through scripture. You, you can't find any Jewish teaching outside of this. You can't find any uh, first century Christian teaching outside of this. That married sex was only blessed in the union of a man and a woman in marriage. Okay, 
Now, yes, in the, in the Old Testament, there, there was multiple wives, concubines, etc. I don't want to get down into the weeds of all this, but I, I, do, I do want to mention some of this, okay? Ancient cultures were very, very different than modern day cultures. I do believe there is a trajectory in scripture where, where God did allow in Old Testament, there was an allowance of, there was multiple wives and concubines. Part of the reason was um, there were not as many men as there were women. The death rate for men was much higher and women could not support themselves without a, a man. They had no rights. They couldn't get a job, they couldn't own property, they literally could not feed and clothe themselves without having a male in their life as their husband, their, if they were called a concubine, a maidservant, whatever it was. And so just for survival's sake, there were men who had multiple wives. Now, that doesn't mean that it was always good, right? Yeah. Like you read in scripture how bad that was. The, the, the horrible things that, that came out of that. But the, the, so now getting to that word sexual immorality in the New Testament is the Greek word porneia. That word porneia includes all sexual immorality. So, and I don't, I apologize if I don't want to offend anybody because I don't have time to unpack this. But it includes all sex outside of one man, one woman in a marriage. So it includes same sex sex. It would include sex outside of marriage. It would include bestiality. It would include incest. All those kinds of things that were pernea, it, a junk drawer word for sex is basically, it includes everything, sexual immorality. I can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where it says regarding the questions you asked, it's good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So right there in that verse, that we need to have a husband and a wife to actually have sex that's blessed. Outside of that, it's sexually immoral. Um, let, me, let me find this. Uh, so, but I, I, verse 7 of chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So there again, we see that if you're going to have sex outside of marriage, it is sin. That if you literally cannot control yourself, which that's an excuse, by the way, because by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. But if you're going to have sex outside of marriage, Paul is saying, God through Paul, it's sin. It is only blessed in the union of one man and one woman. Now, I would love to have conversations with you if you're here and you are, you're uh, in the LGBT community. You're thinking, what in the world does this church believe about that? I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to hear your story. I want to share with you what I believe and, and let you know how much we love you. If you're straight and you're having sex outside of marriage, I would love to hear your story. We want to we help you walk through that. But literally, from cover to cover, Take the concubines, multiple wives out of it. That's another conversation. From cover to cover, sex is only blessed by God in a marriage between a man and a woman. It's only blessed by God in that marriage. Outside of that, from cover to cover, it's sin. It was actually the death penalty to the Jewish people 
if you were caught having sex outside of marriage. You could be stoned to death. And not the Colorado kind of stoned, like <laughs> the rocks, okay? So that, that's, by the way, why it was so, so courageous what Mary, the mother of Jesus, did. Because when she said, I'm pregnant, ain't no one believing God did it. And Mary and Joseph were not married yet. They were betrothed. So she could have been accused of having sex outside of marriage and literally Joseph could have had her stoned to death. So all through scripture, it's blessed only in marriage. I, mean, I, could, I could go to countless places to show you that, but I, I think you get the picture. Let's try to get one or two more in. Okay. Do you as a married couple have date nights? How often? What do you do on them? It is hard on a very strict budget. Yeah. So that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, yes, every Friday night we call our date night. Friday's one of my days off, so we sometimes have date day. Like this last Friday, we were together like literally all day long. She's probably sick of me by the end of it, but. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was fun. But it was every, 12 hours. But. Every Friday night is date night for us. And uh, our kids know that. They know on Friday nights they don't have access to us. Um, that we will we'll go out. Like on this last Friday, we went and saw the movie Harriet based on Harriet Tubman. By the way, phenomenal movie. So Please good. go see it. Uh, so, so good. Um, but we went out and saw a movie. Sometimes we'll go to dinner. Most of the time, we have home dates. Probably because 90, they're free. Yeah, 90% of the time, we lock ourselves in we our room. We literally bedroom. lock ourselves in our room. We have and TV our, in our kids room. still knock on the door. Yep. What are you doing in there? We're like, leave us alone. Yep. We'll watch, we have television shows we like to watch or movies or whatever, and we'll make dinner. We go to our room. We lock the door. When they were littler, they would literally sit outside of our door <laughs> and sometimes cry, mommy. You know what we did? Let them cry. We would just put them to bed earlier. Yep. They don't know, they don't the know time, what time it is. So they went to bed at six o'clock. Hey, it's bedtime. Okay. And they, and they would say, this is one of my favorite lines. They would say, but we're not tired. And I would say, but we're tired of you being awake. <laughs> so you're going to bed. It's date night. And they would stay up in their rooms and they'd be banging around and they would, you know, come to the door. And we just told them it is date night. It's mom and dad time, and we just make that a priority. We do it every Friday night. We've done it since they were very little. It's always been a practice in our life. It's never too late to start. No. Start dating your spouse. Um, find need, that time to be alone. They need to see a healthy, yeah. like what does a re healthy relationship look like? They need to see that. And you, they're not 100% of your world. Don't yes. make them oh, man. your please. world. Please, you, please, please. We don't revolve around them. Yep. They yep. revolve around us. We're in charge. Yep. And they will leave someday, but your spouse won't. Yep. Please, please, please. If, you have, if you're married with kids, yeah. put your spouse first, your marriage first, or God put, first. Yeah, put God your first. Mar your marriage. Yeah. Then your kids. It's yeah. okay to tell them that mommy or daddy is more important. Mm -hmm. More important. Because the best thing you can do for your kids is give them a healthy marriage. If you're married. If you're a single parent, the best thing you can do is take care of yourself. I'm engaged to be married. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did you submit this? Wow. No. 
My fiance does not have the same relationship with God as I do. I pray for him daily. Am I disobeying God by pursuing this marriage? So the, the question says that my fiance does not have the same relationship with God as I do. I don't know what that means. I'm going to assume that they have a relationship with God. You're just not at the same place spiritually. Um, I would say that you're not, diso- again, this is, if that's the case, you both believe in and are pursuing God just at different levels right now. I don't think you're disobeying God by pursuing marriage. Now, if your fiance does not believe in God, like if they are not a Christian, you should not marry them. Okay? Again, if I'm, if I'm going to go with scripture, we'll go back to that same passage, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, starting in, or in verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. So... It's called being unequally yoked is what, what the, the scripture or the Christian term is for that. That as a Christian, you should not marry someone who's not a Christian. Okay? So if, if you're telling me that your, your fiance does not love the Lord, and by the way, that means it's not just that they say, oh yeah, I love, I love the Lord. No, it's actually they're living it. <laughs> not saying it, but living it. If your fiance does not love Jesus, you should not marry them. Now, if you're dating someone and they're not a believer, or you're engaged to someone and not a believer, and you go to them and tell them, hey, I I believe that we should not be together, I'm telling you, they're gonna pull every card in the book. Uh, What are you, you can't judge me, or you're hypocritical, or how dare you? Listen, the enemy will do everything he can to keep you yoked with someone who does not believe. If you're married, and you're a believer and they're not, you're, you're, you're married. You don't leave that marriage, okay? But if you have a chance before you're married to, to break that off, um, I think you should. And here's a problem I think I see a lot in Christian uh, single people is they believe that by dating this person, they'll get them saved. Missionary dating is the worst idea ever. Yeah. Because it's way harder for you to pull someone up than it is for them to pull you down. Yeah. Okay? So I would say you're not disobeying God as long as they believe in Jesus or following him. But if they don't, I think you should personally, not knowing all the context, break it off. For someone who has never been married before, in what ways does God confirm that he has a marriage for your life? That is a good, good question. Uh, That one's not come up so far today. Um... Man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have an immediate answer. It's the first time I've been stumped, I think, all day long. Um, here, here's, here's I'll, I'll start here. Until you can honestly say, I am content if I'm never married, I'm not sure you'll ever know the, question to the answer to that question. So if you're looking for someone to be married... Um, it's very easy to be fooled that marriage is the right thing. We often feel like there's that feeling or they're the one, which I haven't had a chance to say this all day long. It's going to be a little side, <laughs> side rant here, but the idea that there's one out there for you is an absolute lie. And here's why. Think, just follow me here. Follow the logic. <laughs> if there's one person for me to marry, the one, and I actually don't marry that person, I marry somebody else. Now I've married the wrong one and they've married the wrong one. And the people we were supposed to marry can't marry the right one. Mm -hmm. 
And now if they go marry someone else, they've married the wrong one, and the people they were supposed to marry, they can't marry the right one. And it doesn't take long before everybody in the world has married the wrong one. You see why that is such a, a, a lie, that there's one out there for me? So, if, so God might call you into marriage. I, I, I honestly don't know how to give an answer for you if that's for you. Only you and the Lord can figure that out. Um, but I, I do think, what if God said you were never to be married? How do you respond to that? Yeah. I guess a better question to ask. And it doesn't mean that you should fake being content so that God will give you a marriage. <laughs> That's not the point. I think we've done that in the church too. Well, as soon as you're to that point where you don't have to be married, then God will give you somebody. No, maybe, maybe you won't. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you won't. Um, it's a great question. If you ask that, please find me in the lobby. I'd love to just hash it out a little bit more. I honestly don't know an answer off the top of my head. I apologize. I was stumped on that one. <laughs> I know. That's the first time. Yep. How does premarital sex damage a future marriage? <sighs> Let me count the ways. Um, so... Well, here's just some common sense one to me. Comparison. That if I, if I had sex with someone, or Sabrina had sex with someone before we were married, which we, we didn't. We were virgins when we got married. Um, there's, a, there's a temptation or the potential of comparison. Well, that person, I liked better what they did. Or, or even just the, 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 a chance for the enemy to like, hey, hey Jeff, does, does Sabrina like you as much as her last partner. And it just causes tension, I think. It can, it can cause tension in a relationship. Let me, let me say this too. If you've had sex before marriage, it doesn't mean that God can't give you a great sex life in a marriage. Like there's healing and forgiveness and all that, but there's baggage you bring in. Like when you have sex with someone, the, the, the word echad for one in the Hebrew is a very graphic and sexual word. It means fused at the deepest level. And when you have sex with someone, you are fusing at the deepest level. So if you have fused with someone, you cannot not carry that to the next relationship. You can't not carry it. Yeah. It's with you forever. So that person you were one with, you've carried to the next one, and then that continues and continues. It's, it's ripping parts of yourself apart. You're leaving parts of yourself with other people. So there's that damage. The statistics are overwhelming. I wish I had them right, right on paper. I didn't, we don't see these questions, but the statistics, statistics are overwhelming of um, couples who wait to have sex before marriage have much higher sexual satisfaction in marriage. Divorce rates go up after premarital sex, like go up way up after premarital sex. Couples that live together before marriage, divorce rates more than double. We think it's gonna help marriage. It actually more than doubles the divorce rate if you live together before marriage. There, there are actual like, statistical proofs of the damage premarital sex can, can do. Let just, I didn't even touch the spiritual damage that it can do. I mean, it's, it, there, there's just so many ways that becoming one with someone affects how I will be one with someone in the future. Um, so again, I, I don't want to take a ton of time there, but there's physical things, there's spiritual, there's mental, emotional, there's relational, just baggage. It just makes it more difficult to navigate. Um, 
This is good. This is going to be, I don't mean this to be crude in any way. It, it is, there's a lot of reassurance in knowing that when my, when my wife and I have sex, she can't compare me to anyone else. Like this, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crude. I'm trying to be somewhat funny, but like I might be the worst person in bed and she has no idea. That's amazing. Like I'm the best sex she's ever had. <laughs> Good thing our kids aren't here tonight. They were so embarrassed this morning. Our, that, our kids were counting how many times he said sex, 50 times in second service. <laughs> but that, that's, I, it's funny, no, but it's, it's, it's a blessing. It's true though, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a blessing yeah. that all I know is her and all she knows is me. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And it's so rare. Yeah. And we made many sexual mistakes. We didn't have sex, but we made sexual that, mistakes. That's what I was going to say. Like, we didn't have sex, but we did other things, and it still caused oh, damage. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, we're still working through some of the damage that did. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't want to belabor that because we do need to move on, but that, it's a great question, but there's just, there's just so many complications that come with that when, you're just, when you just choose to give yourself away. God can forgive. He restores. He heals. Absolutely. But you can ask just, just about anybody. There might be a rare case where somebody says, ah, it didn't affect me. I think you're lying. <laughs> if you truly get down to it, there's just yeah. so many things it affects. Okay, how can we help parents go through messy divorces with children caught in the crossfire to put aside both parties' pride and anger to ensure kids' well-being? Sabrina's a child of divorce. So, like... She, she understands the pain, the damage at, at, I won't tell how old you are, but at 20 years old, you're still experiencing. At 20? Yep. Thanks. That was nice. Yep. No, my parents have been divorced for 31 years. And you're still experiencing pain from that. Still so, in the middle. I, I would say, and, I, and I'm saying this with as much care and concern that I can, um, you cannot ensure a kid's well-being through divorce. You can't. You can walk them through it. You can love them. You can, off, you can do everything you can. You cannot ensure their well-being. It will, it will affect those kids for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life. So now, to answer the question, what can we do to then walk with these parents I think you answered your own question. We walk with them. We offer grace and mercy and babysitting and counseling and love and care and concern. We we just, we walk with them. How can we help? How can we help? How can we help? But you will not protect them. When a couple with kids gets, gets divorced, it will, you cannot stop it from affecting the kids. You can't. And, and no matter how, I've seen some, some of the best situations where the couples separate and they're, they're still very cordial and kind, they work together, the damage is done. No matter how much you get along with your ex, the, it affects the kids. And we're, we're living proof still today that it affects, and it affects grandkids. Our kids deal with the effects of d- divorce and it just, you just can't protect them. So I know I didn't give details, but I think you just walk with them. Yeah. 
And we should, as a church, walk with divorced people. If you're here divorced, you're walking through that, and we're here. Like, let us walk with you. Yeah. You're, you're not, God's not done with you just because you're divorced. He's not done with those kids either. Um, okay? Uh, social media flirting, cheating on your spouse. Ooh, yep. <laughs> run, 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 run. I, I shouldn't have said yep so quickly. <laughs> Don't do it. How about that? I mean, flirting is just, any kind of flirting is basically saying, how close to the line can I actually get? And you walk close to the line too long, you'll fall over. Flir flirting is basically telling somebody I'm available. So when you flirt with someone, you're opening the door for them to engage back. Well, you're opening the door for the enemy, too. He's going to be like, oh, hey, walking yeah. in, going to yep. ruin whatever relationship you have. It will be done. It's, man, you don't have to give him but a crack, and he pushes it right open. So, yeah. Is it, I can't remember the, the question. Was it, did it ask if it was a sin? That would ask? I, won't, I won't say it's, is it cheating? That's what you said. Is it, that's what I said. Is flirting cheating? I would say this. If I did that, would you think it was cheating? Uh, yeah. Okay. Ask your spouse. We have some problems. Ask your spouse what they think. You'll get a real clear answer. <laughs> okay. Um, you can say, I have a friend yeah, doing yeah. this. What I'm do you for think? A friend. <laughs> and any, any kind of that flirting with the line, not, I'm, not, I'm using that word, kind of, no pun intended, but any flirting with the line, Yeah. like we always want to know how far can I go. Mm-hmm. I always say, instead of asking how far can I go, ask how far away from that line can I get? Because yeah. I promise you, cheating happens when you come to the line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so I'll leave it at that. Sex is so important in a marriage, but can you speak about guilt tripping, abuse, or coercion mm -hmm. into having sex in a marriage? That's really, really good. I, th yeah, I don't think is. I mentioned this in the first answer. Maybe, maybe I did. Yeah, I mentioned physical limitations and whatnot. That, like, um, so obviously, uh, if, if you're using guilt, well, the Bible says you're supposed to have sex with your spouse. Like, that's, that's not going to work. Um, I, obviously, if there's a sexual abuse happening in a marriage, like, there, there can be rape in marriage, okay? So, like, if there's anything illegal or abusive happening, obviously that needs to be you know, alerted to the authorities or get out of that situation, separate from them for a season. Like that is not, um, allowed coercion. Same thing. It was kind of like is, is guilt tripping, but, um, man, that, that obviously is not healthy in any way. That's not the kind of sex that should be happening in a marriage. That's not intimate. That's not intimacy. Sex should be mutual out of an intimate relationship. And I truly, truly, truly do believe if you are truly being intimate with your spouse, we hear intimate and think sex, that's not intimacy. If you're truly being intimate with your spouse, sex will happen. Yeah. Again, there, there might need to be some counseling, you know, past abuse that you need worked through, physical, emotional, spiritual limitations. There's gonna have to be some very awkward conversations. We talk, we like, if, you, if you're not having a healthy sex life, it's going to be very hard to get to one. But, but those things, coercion, um, uh, abuse, 
and, and guilt, that, that is not the avenue. That should be avoided if you're in that situation, especially if there's abuse. Please tell somebody like, that's illegal and, and should be dealt with. What create, oh, it just changed on me. I'm gonna still go with it. What creates a strong, lasting marriage? I'll, I'll tell you, there's one thing, Jesus. <laughs> if both of you are not pursuing Jesus, it's possible to have a, a, a strong, lasting marriage without Jesus. There's many cases of that. Yeah. In the faith, if you're not both pursuing Jesus, it's gonna be very, very hard to have a strong, lasting marriage. It takes two people, I understand, but man, I can't tell you how, how beneficial it's been for, for my wife and I to both be on the same page. And even as Christians, we have not always been on the same page spiritually, right? But when we both said, hey, we're, we didn't say this like literally, but when we both have basically agreed, no more games, no more playing marriage, we're done playing the game. Like, let's get real. Yeah. When we did that, when we were willing to have, when we were willing to listen to podcasts together, you know, when we were, when we were willing to talk about sex, even when it was super uncomfortable, yeah. confessing our own sins, asking for forgiveness, when we were willing to pursue Jesus together, not necessarily like, we don't read the Bible together and have these amazing, you know, angels come down during devotions. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. But if like you're not pursuing Jesus, it's going to be very, very, very difficult to happen. And, and, I can't stress this enough. Four words you should never forget in your marriage. It's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's not about me. If you don't get that figured out, you're not going to have a strong, lasting, healthy marriage. Because you'll make marriage about you. Any, rela any relationship, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it applies everywhere. So uh, Jesus is my answer. It's a Sunday school answer, but it's, it's so, man, just pursue Jesus. Pursue the word. Go to church together. Serve together. Cry together. Pray together. Like all of it. It's all centered on Jesus. Yeah. When is divorce acceptable? I heard an awesome sermon last week on this. <laughs> Were you guys here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did preach on it last week. If, if you want to go listen to it, if you weren't here for that, please go. The, in my opinion, the, the Bible gives one acceptable reason for divorce. Adultery. That's what the scripture says, okay? And, and I'll add this. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that if, if there's a Christian married to a non-Christian, and the non-Christian spouse chooses to leave, you are no longer bound to that spouse. But I don't think the Christian should ever choose the divorce. If they're left, then that divorce is acceptable. That's what the scripture says, okay? I, as I said last week, I, I don't think I can ever advise someone to get divorced. Doesn't mean I'm against you if you have been divorced, please hear that, I'm so for you. <laughs> Um, I just, as a pastor, can't advise it when the scripture is pretty clear. If I'm going to go with scripture, like I try to do, it's just pretty clear that there's one acceptable reason it, it, Two, if you want to count the unbelieving spouse leaving, but the one is adultery. If one spouse has been unfaithful sexually, there's a cause and allowance for divorce. But as I said last week, for every allowance there is for divorce, there's also an opportunity to forgive. God always wants to restore the marriage, always. 
Like, there's a reason why God says, I hate divorce. Like, it's just the damage it does is just, you, and you know it, you've seen it. It's just so unbearable. Um, so anyway, the acceptable reasons is adultery or unbelieving spouse who leaves. And go back and listen to that sermon. Yeah, I mean, I, I preached the whole really sermon good. on it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Is it wrong to call out your husband for having pornography obsessions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone else should be calling him out, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I'll do it. If you, I, listen, I'll, I understand the obsession with pornography and addiction because I've had it, okay? So I'm not speaking from someone who's like riding on his high horse. I won't go into all the details, but I have been there and I have had full freedom, full freedom since 2004, okay? So I know the obsession and I know the freedom. And let me just say, if anybody is involved in pornography and excusing that behavior, you are in very serious danger of the judgment of God. I don't know how any more clear I can be. And I'm gonna even say this, I don't know why I'm saying it, but I'm gonna say it. There are some, this ties all back into the very first question on you know, couples not having sex. There are some women who I know of that don't wanna have sex with their husband so they tell them to go watch porn. That's evil. You are sending your husband into an addiction that is scientifically proven more powerful than heroin. Because heroin or drugs can actually be removed from the system. Pornographic images are burned forever in the brain. And they begin literally, pornography scientifically proven, psychologically proven, starts to form new neural pathways in the brain that lead to addictions that are almost impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit to break. So I'm very passionate about this because it nearly ruined our marriage. And it will ruin marriages. So if you are caught in that trap of pornography, and it is a trap. Like when I was a kid, you know, to look at porn, you need to get a magazine. Either your friend knew where his dad kept the stash or you found one in the trash can or something. But then the internet came along and literally ruined everything. <laughs> and now we have porn in our pockets on our smartphones. Like it, it's so easy to access. If you need help, please, 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 please reach out for help. And yes, you have every right to call out your spouse who is looking at porn. Every right. It will destroy you. It will destroy you. So I, 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 I'm sorry for being so strong, but I, I, I just, that is, it's terrifying to me what porn can do. Are dating sites off limits for Christians? Should it be something we pursue if single? 
I don't, I don't think they're off sites. Obviously, I think there's, there's some kind of, there are some dating sites that are more part of the hookup culture than truly trying to find a, a mate. It's just looking for a hookup that night. I think you should avoid those. <laughs> um, but I, I, there's nothing inherently wrong with dating, dating sites. I feel like I ruined the whole room by my last answer. Everybody's like scared of me now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, nothing wrong with it. I think there's great stories of people who have found spouses through dating sites, but I, I, I would just, I would say use it with caution. Yeah. Anybody can say anything about themselves on a, on a website, <laughs> um, including you. Yeah. And you, if you're not careful, you'll end up um, being a little bit dishonest about yourself in the hopes of finding the right one. Like, just don't be so obsessed with that. I think you can add on to that what you've, said for other dating questions. What's the point? Why do you want to be on this? Why are you dating? The point of dating, in our opinion, is to get married. Yeah. Are you ready for that? Yeah. That's why we date. Yeah. I, I, I just always caution against just, just dating to date. Yeah. Um, like, don't, don't do that. It's just, it's something that we need to change in Christian culture. Yeah. yeah. That we're just supposed to start dating because we're supposed to. That even goes back to that. How do you know you're you know, that, that person is the one for you. Like, just let it happen. Like, don't go looking for it by dating a bunch of people. If God wants you married, he, I think he can figure it out. <laughs> like, he'll bring the person. It'll be undeniable. Like, there's, this is a God thing, not just a dating app thing. <laughs> I think we can do one more. Okay. Can someone who has been previously divorced for non-biblical reasons remain with their new slash current spouse? Yes. I addressed this last week as well. If you are currently in a second, third marriage, whatever it is, if you're in another secondary marriage, even though maybe your first marriage was a wrongful divorce, it doesn't mean you now get divorced to make that one right. So if you are married, you are married now. Stay and you stay there, yeah. right? There, don't make this a mistake again of yeah. now getting remarried or, or divorced again just to make up for it. Um, so yes, if you're in a second marriage, remain in that marriage and do whatever it takes to make that marriage um, work and watch last week's message. And we'll answer one more because that was quick. Yeah, that, good job. Can you be in a relationship and have a best friend that you spend alone time with that is opposite sex as you? I would say if you are married and your best friend is of the opposite sex and you're spending alone time, man, that would be a, I would not want her doing that. <laughs> and I know you wouldn't want me doing that. No. We have, we have very, very, very high standards for being alone with people of the opposite sex. I will not be alone with someone who's the opposite sex unless they're my wife, my family, um, and that's it. <laughs> Like, I, you, I, won't, I won't meet with someone alone. I won't be in a car alone. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. And I would just be, I know there's people that have, you know, opposite sex best friends. If you're married, I would say it just, that's just so, so tempting. <laughs> it, it just seems like an open door yeah. again for the enemy to walk in. Because you and your spouse have one argument and you run to that best friend and they console you. That's intimate. Yeah. I mean, that is intimacy. That, it's a big deal. I would say you can't. I mean, I, I would not say you can't. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. But I would just be like, man, just be, that's just. Boundaries. Caution, caution, yeah. caution, like pump the brakes type. That's what I feel in my spirit. 
Um, and that's more so if you are married. If you're not married, it's a little bit different, but still there's so much room for temptation there. I think that's all the time we got.